Again, I appreciate this opportunity this morning to be able to, to the confidence you've placed in me to come and speak to you. And my prayer is that the Lord will use me in whatever manner he sees fit to give the message to you that he knows you need or have on your heart. Uh, I'm going to speak to you primarily from the book of Hebrews this morning. I'm going to start with a, uh, read a few verses in Proverbs, but I will go then to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, doesn't specifically list an author. Um, most of us believe that it was written by the Apostle Paul, and I think I could prove that given the time, but I won't go there today. I'll I believe it was written by the Apostle Paul. It was one of the last books that he wrote. Of course, it's the last of his books. It's in the New Testament, but he wrote it to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people who were Christians, who had uh, converted to Christ. They'd left Judaism and uh, converted to Christ, and this was to prevent them from going. I think he wrote in a manner to try to make sure they stayed Christians and didn't convert back to Judaism. And I, so, so I think that's what's taking place there. Many of them had left Judea, uh, Jerusalem. They were getting close to the time in which the Roman government would overthrow Jerusalem. And a lot of them were leaving and getting out. And he wrote this to them to try to make sure that they had were sound uh, fundamentally and, and stayed with uh, the as followers of Christ. <coughs> in it, it has, it has some especially two particular scriptures I want to focus on this morning that have been, I, I believe, taken way out of context and are used in a, a, a manner to try to put fear in people's hearts. Uh, we know that you know, Paul tells us you know, we don't have a doctrine of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. We shouldn't come to church or do anything or commit works because we're afraid or we won't get to heaven. We do them because we know of the reward that God will give us. He already has given us a reward of eternal life, and he'll give us a reward in this heaven for following his ways. I want to start with uh, Proverbs 3. Let me read. I want to read, uh, I guess, about 11 or 12 verses here and hopefully lay a little bit of foundation about them when we jump over to Hebrews. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 3. My son, forget not my law. The Lord wants us to follow his law. Forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. I want you to follow my commandments. Now, I hope people in here will do this, and I hope they're better at it than I am. But this is what he's telling us. He wants us to follow his law and keep his commandments. And he's, in verse 2 he says, and this is the reason why. For length of days and long of life and peace shall they add to thee. They're going to give you good days. They're going to give you a long life. They'll give you peace in your heart what he's telling us by following his commandments. Verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Always keep focus on mercy and the truth. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Remember them. Do things you, do things you need to do to remember his laws, his commandments. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and the man. If you remember my commandments and do them, then you're going to have good health, you're going to live a long life, good things will happen to you, and it'll put you in good favor and good understanding both with God and with your fellow man. Verse 5, many of you have heard these few, few verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You know, it's easy for us to 
<coughs> lean to our own understanding. You know, somebody, uh, I think, uh, trespasses on me or says something bad or libels or slanders me, and I get mad and have a grievance with them. You know, my deal is just payback time. You know, I want recompense. I want vengeance. That's what's in my heart. That's my understanding of how things ought to work. The Lord says, don't lean on your own understanding, but read his word. And we know that he tells us he'll be the one that will seek vengeance, not us. And that's hard for us to lay down our own understanding and our own thoughts. And that's what he's teaching us here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. He will give you guidance. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. It's right down to the core of your health-wise, your body. <coughs> it's going to help you in, that, in many ways, just today and tomorrow with your health. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. We give as the Lord prospers us, and we give until the Lord pays us back for that. It's hard to outgive the Lord. I remember Brother George used to be a strong saying of his, you cannot outgive the Lord. You give things to the church, you give them to people, and you help support the causes that Christ tells us to. He says, you can't outgive the Lord. The Lord will give it back to you, and that's what he's telling us. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with thy first fruits of all thine harvest. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. No matter how much you give to the Lord and giving of the first fruits, you know, if you'll turn around and look when you're doing that, your barns are going to fill up. You're going to prosper. <coughs> and thy precious shall burst out with new wine. He's going to turn around and recompense you for all the good things you do to your neighbors, to your church, to all the people around you. It's sometimes it's hard for us to give. You know, we don't give like the widow does of the two mites. We give it, you know, how much can I afford to give this week? That's not the way he tells us to think, and that goes against our understanding. We all say, I need to hold something out to pay bills. And he tells us, no, you give of your substance, and the Lord then will fill up your barns and fill up your oppressors. He'll make you prosper in the same manner that you gave. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither weary of his correction. <coughs> I'm sure all of you follow the law better than I do, but I think time to time I realize I look back and I've been chastened by the Lord for my failure to follow his commandments. And he tells us, despise not for that chastening. You know, we tend to blame it on other things. I don't know why, you know, things are happening to me. I don't know why God is mistreating me. I don't know why he's not answering my prayers. And he tells us it's usually because we have not followed him first. We follow him first, and then we don't have to worry about these uh, things. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. You know, now that's kind of hard for us to understand sometimes. If you're being chastened, that's also a good sign in the fact that that means the Lord loves you and is trying to help you redirect your life. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. The Lord delights in us. We're his creation. We're his chosen. We're his elect. He delights in us, but yet from time to time, he feels he needs to chasten us and redirect our lives when we're not following his commandments, which would be, in which he says, we'll all be better off if we would. Of course, that's not the way we think. And I don't always think like that. There's some things I need to do on my own without necessarily following the Lord. When he goes through here and talks about this, 
He's talking about saving us from ourselves. <laughs> He's talking about saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from the problems and cares of this world so we won't be weary and be afraid of things going on in the world. We're to be... Uh, he, he, he's talking to about giving us salvation day-to-day -day in this world, salvation day-to-day -day in our life. And this is one of the key misunderstandings, especially when we get over a couple of verses in Hebrews, one of the key misunderstandings that people have to this is they confuse this salvation with what it takes to get to heaven. He's not saying do these things or you won't get to heaven. He's saying do these things today so you'll have a great life in this world tomorrow. Everything he's given instruction here, excuse me, in this proverb, he's given us for salvation from us, ourselves, and salvation from the world. Now, you all know a lot of these people will take this type of salvation and say that's how you get your eternal salvation is by following the commandments, and we should. But clearly there's a great benefit and blessing for us today and tomorrow in following these. But this is, you know, as we know, the Bible teaches two types of salvation. One of the ones, and this is out of the Old Testament, one of the ones is what he's teaching us here to do. And even the New Testament tells us we should still follow the Lord's commandments and his laws. You know, it's not a requirement to go to heaven. We know that. They didn't necessarily know that in the Old Testament. We know it from the New Testament. But he teaches us to follow his commandments. Do the things that he would have us to do. Read about him and see what is, how he would instruct us to do and behave. Don't seek vengeance. Uh, contribute to those causes we need to. And he will take care of us today and tomorrow. When you read this list that I just led, read, he's talking about timely salvation. Salvation today and tomorrow. It doesn't mention eternal salvation in here anywhere. There are two types of salvation throughout the Bible, and, and this is what is the, the great confusion to most people. We've had writers, great Bible writers over the years that have written about these two types of salvation, and it seems like people either get hung up on one or they get hung up on the other. One of them is salvation by works, which is what the Lord is teaching us right here through uh, King Solomon in this problem. <coughs> you do these good works, and you're going to have a certain salvation that's the salvation by works. We believe that. That's a, a solid doctrine in the Bible. <coughs> we also know, we'll talk about that in a second, that we, we believe in salvation, eternal salvation, by predestination. That he elected a people and chose you out. A people wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and sealed that book before the foundation of the world, before you were even born. He had the foreknowledge to know who you were, who you were going to be, and he picked and chose we know it's not a limited number of people. It's a great number that he did this with. He picked and chose a great number of people that he wanted to be his people, like he did the nation of Israel. And now we've all become, we may have told us in the New Testament, that that's become spiritual Israel. All of his elect are spiritual Israelites who are chosen people, elected by him. That election took place before the foundation of the world. You still had to follow the law. You still had to follow the law and do good, which... You hope you're better than I am, but I haven't been able to accomplish that, follow that law. Thank goodness then, Jesus came down and met the requirements of the law by his sacrifice for us 
and we were all satisfied. When we made that sacrifice, we did the job. It's finished. It's done. Our eternal salvation is done and complete. We don't have to worry about eternal destiny. That's one thing we should feel comfortable in. I like to say, you know, that's the end of the book. We've already read the end of the book. It has a great happy ending. It's better than any Hallmark movie you ever watch. It's all have happy endings. This is a happy ending, and we already know what it is, our eternal salvation. In the meantime, from now until we have our natural death, we've got to live in this world. We've got to raise kids, and we've got to live with the politicians, and we've got to live with the problems of our jobs, our employment. How do we take care of our families? How do we provide substance to them? How do we handle our day-to-day problems? How do I keep from running up my credit card? We've got all these problems, and that's what he's telling us here about time salvation. The true salvation. I mentioned great writers in the Bible, about the Bible. There's a man named Jacobus Arminius. Jacobus Arminius <coughs> was a, a man who believed in salvation by works. He read the Bible, and he saw that salvation by works. He took that interpretation, and, and it is there. That's what he's talking about here. Salvation by works, and he says, well, that implies our eternal salvation. And he took that, and he, he what I believe, misinterpreted it, but he has written great at length of books about it, about salvation by works. And <coughs> on that, that's, that we are, that's what we call Arminians, named followers of Joseph of Jacobus Arminius. And we know, you know, we think, well, that's clear, but you know also the doctrine of predestination is clear, clear. But then there's a whole world, most of the world, most of the Christian world followed the teaching of Jacobus Arminius. you got to do something to get your salvation. You know, they don't, they, they don't call it works, but they say you've got to hear the gospel. You've got to believe it. You've got to accept it. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. You've got to join the church. You've got to get baptized. You've got to go visit the sick. You've got to do all the things we tell you to give to the church. You've got to follow all the commandments. You've got to do something, and all of that is works. And they say, well, most of that is you've got to believe. You've got to accept in your heart. You've got to believe. You've got to say the Lord is your Savior. That's just thinking and having it in your heart and, and talking. That's not really works. Well, Go to the Ten Commandments. We all agree following the Ten Commandments is works. I believe nine out of ten of them say here's things you're not to do. So you satisfy those, those commandments by not doing what he says. Don't murder anybody. Well, what, do you, what kind of work are you doing by not murdering anybody? You're not doing anything. <coughs> don't covet you know, your neighbor's property. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. By doing those things, doing those, those we all agree following the Ten Commandments is works. But yet, when you follow them, and that's probably the thing we should do, you don't, you don't, half of them, I can sit still in my home, my chair in my home, and not do those, and I've followed most of the commandments. There's only one commandment that's positive, and that's honor your father and mother, <coughs> so that your days in the, in the, on the earth will be long. You do that, by, you do that, and he gives you a timely blessing. I'm not talking about eternal salvation, timely blessing. The other doctrine that's taught in the Bible, and you all know, you're familiar with this one, doctrine, of predestination. That before the foundation of the world, God looked with his foreknowledge. He looked and he chose him people. We call that election. He elected a certain people. Very clearly taught, especially over in the New Testament. Apostle Paul teaches about it many in the book of Romans and Corinthians about the doctrine of election. He elected a people before the foundation of the world. Put your name in the Lamb's book of life and seal that book with seven seals and you go over and read Revelation 5. There's only one person that can open that book and look in on it. We can't. We don't know who's in there. We don't know whose name's in there. I, I have full confidence that your name is there. Every one of you here, you wouldn't be displaying the good works you are this morning by doing a search. 
you didn't have something in your heart that tells me you're a child of God, you're an elect. But I, I have, we don't have absolute assurance of that, but I have the blessed assurance. Apostle Paul says, we don't know who's in there, but you have the blessed assurance that you are. If you feel you're a sinner and in need of the Lord, then your name is in that Lamb's Book of Life. It will be opened by Christ at the end of time. And with that, we, we, we will, what I will call, my words, bypass this so-called final judgment. People will tell you that, well, that's not fair. It's not fair for God to pick some people and not pick other people. Well, you know, and, uh, they'll say, well, he is actually, God's actually condemning people to hell. God doesn't condemn anybody to hell. If we get any condemnation, we bring it on ourselves. We condemn ourselves. It's like me going down to the district attorney and say, this man you know, committed murder. You're trying, you're trying to send him to the gas chamber or the, <coughs> the electric chair. You're condemning him. And I can tell you, the district attorney said, I didn't condemn him. He condemns himself. All I'm doing is following the law. And the law was laid down from the very start. <coughs> you got a lot of people that God leaves on their own to follow the law. And, and as we know, they're not doing it. They never have done it. So he leaves some people in the same position they're in. He followed the law entirely with everybody and didn't choose somebody. I know that I would have absolutely no opportunity to go to heaven like that. Most of us wouldn't. Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3, you know, we're all sinners. Every one of us have sinned. So thank goodness for this doctrine of election and predestination. We can't do enough to work our way to heaven. In Romans 1, 2, and 3, you'll see that it says you have to have righteousness to get to heaven. And we have it, none of it on our own. But we, Christ gives us his righteousness paved the way for us. So that's the doctrine of predestination. That was written about in great length by a guy named John Calvin. He was known as Calvinism. If you believe in predestination, people will call you a Calvinist. Well, we are Primitive Baptists are not Calvinists. We believe in the doctrine of predestination. But we also believe in the doctrine of salvation by what? <coughs> so we're not Calvinists. People will tell you that, and a lot of people will say, yeah, you're right. I believe in predestination. The five points of Calvinism, I believe, are the five points of God's sovereignty. You know, P-U-L-I-P, total depravity, <coughs> unconditional love, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and preservation. <coughs> Those are the five points of Calvinism. He, he calls it not preservation, but perseverance. But Calvin also believed that God condemns people to hell. He predestinates. He believes in two predestinations. One, he's going to predestinate some to heaven and predestinate others to hell. Calvin also was a great believer in, in sprinkling of, of children, sprinkled baptism, pouring on a baptism for children. He also condemned a lot of people to death who disagreed with him. That's not Christian and that's not, <coughs> that's not what we believe by any means at all. <coughs> we believe the simple doctrine that was taught by the apostles. So that's the two is Arminianism and Calvinism and 95 or 99 percent of the Christian nation believes one of two. They pick one here and one here, and they fight over it all the time. Which one's right? Are we saved by works? Or are we saved by, by predestination and election? And they hit heads all the time, and that's what they fight about the whole world. They can't, you get in one camp, you can't believe the other camp. You get in that camp, you can't believe in this camp. And they're reading the same Bible. I've talked about this before. You think this is new to God? Go back and read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were reading the same scriptures, and yet they fought bitterly over their interpretation of it. They didn't rightly divide the word of truth. They picked something out and grabbed hold of it, and they believed it, and they thought about it. That was 
that was the, <coughs> the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now we have, we're still reading the same book. We have the Calvinists and the Arminians and Kirk Basin. This has been a history with this world. The world always puts itself in two camps. If you want to understand the Democrats and the Republicans, you study on the Calvinists and the Arminians. Democrats and Republicans have the same laws, the same constitution. They interpret them totally different. That's the nature of man. Go back to England to the Whigs and the Tories. Go over in the Muslim country to the Sunnis and the Shiites. The world has always divided itself into two camps and gone to the extreme. Nobody wants to go to the extreme. You go to, if you believe in Arminianism, you want to go to the extreme and say, you better get good works and you better get yourself saved or you're going to go to hell. <coughs> the Calvinists say, well, there's nothing, nothing you can do. You're already in heaven or hell, so there's nothing you can do. So we're just kind of like robots going through this life. Both of them are wrong. They're both extremists. But both doctrines are taught in the Bible. But the doctrine of salvation by works is talking about timely blessings today and tomorrow in this world. What you do in this world, following the Lord's commandments and his guidance and looking to him and studying to him and praying about him, understanding his word, that's good work. That'll give you blessings today in life. Then we should be thanking the Lord. That's part of our good works is to go to the Lord and thank you for your eternal salvation. What you did on the cross that gave us eternal salvation. I, did, I was going to mention one scripture, and all of you know it, 2 Timothy 1 and 9, where it says, God saved us and called us with a holy call. A holy call. Not according to our work, but according to his grace and his purpose given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Goes on and says, but it is now made manifest. Now that we've got the New Testament and we can read about it, we're learning what Christ did for us thousands of years ago. Of course, it wasn't in the time when he did this. It was in eternity before the foundation of the world, but more than 2,000, 22 years ago, clearly. He did this for us back then. It's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When Christ came, he let us know that we have a better understanding of what the Lord did for us before the foundation of the world. And by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Christ, is a child of God, does not die. His body dies. The minute you die, you open your eyes in the presence of the Lord. And then at some point in time, the Lord will resurrect both you and put together your body and your spirit for eternity. And he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel doesn't save anybody. It saves you timely because now you have an understanding that doesn't give you eternal life. Christ did that, and God did that before the foundation of the world, and Christ fulfilled that law so that we got that. But now he brings it, the preaching of the gospel brings it to life. Gives us a great understanding of that. Now let me turn quickly over to Hebrews. I'll read a couple of verses with you that, that get caught up in this confusion we have and get caught up in, in this misinterpretation, taking things where it's taken out of context. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Paul's teaching, and he's teaching the Jewish people now. You know, the Jewish people were, were, <coughs> were being prosecuted at that time because the Roman government was about to move in. This book was probably written in the mid-60s, and we know the Romans took, uh, captured and burned down Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So we had this was a lot of turmoil going down, and the Jews were fighting the Romans, and a lot of them were prosecuted. So they were fleeing the country. Paul wrote this book, though, says, you know, yeah, but hold fast to your doctrine in spite of persecution. That's what he was writing. And we get to where in chapter 2, and he says, therefore, we ought, 
to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We need to remember the things we've learned so they don't slip away from us. Now, this is interpreted to mean you're going to fall from grace. You're going to do these and heed to them, and yet then you're going to fall from grace. And this is the Arminians love this verse here because they say, he's teaching us if you don't do them, <coughs> you're going to lose that salvation. You're going to fall. It's going to slip away from you. He goes on here in verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, if you go back and in, 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 uh, read, and you can go back in to the uh, book of Acts, and uh, you can see Acts chapter 7, it talks about all the uh, messages in the Old Testament were delivered by angels. And that's what he's referring to. This is, we're talking about the Old Testament law. In uh, verse Acts 7 and 38, it says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angels who spoke to him on the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the law of the oracles given unto us. Uh, verse 53, they received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. And we say again in Galatians, too, it talks about angels delivered a lot of the old, old law. And they did. You know, the Abraham in the desert and, and uh, Lot in the desert, you know, they, they delivered a lot of angels. And that's what he's talking about here when he says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, if it was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received his just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? If our forefathers got the law by angels directly and they suffered the consequences of not following the law, of course the law they got was having to do with time salvation. Apostle Paul is saying, you know, yeah, we ought to be obeying the Lord and that's time, that's good works, that's time salvation. He says, you know, if they couldn't follow it, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If you neglect to understand your salvation, how are you going to escape the problems of this world? If you don't understand eternal salvation, and that he's taking care of it, and he's given it to you out of his love, you know, and how are you going to survive? How are you going to escape the problems of this world? You know, Understanding the doctrine of predestination and election, that he chose you before the foundation of the world, your name is in that Lamb's Book of Life, it cannot be taken out, it cannot be erased, regardless of what you or anybody else does. He's taking care of that salvation. If I understand that, it gives me a great deal of security. I've got a great deal of peace in my heart. I don't worry about whether my mother and daddy did the right thing, so I, and I have to somehow get them baptized or something. Because some of the religions do that. I go, go get baptized my mother and my father and my uncles and my children. I don't worry if you know, some of my family are not members of the church and haven't done all the good work. <coughs> I get great security. You know, again, that's part of that power and love and a sound mind. I'm very comfortable. I want, I want everybody to follow the law. I want everybody to do the good work because you're going to get the blessings today and tomorrow. But I'm not worried about whether you're going to go to heaven or not. That's the security that he gives us. That's what he's saying to us. How can we, if we don't follow that and if we don't study the word of the Lord and understand it, how are we going to escape the same problem that our forefathers had? They thought that was the only salvation they had was works, and if they didn't do it, they were going to go to hell. That's what they thought about. He said, how can we escape that if we don't? This is taken now <coughs> by people and saying, well, you can't escape it. And if you, unless you escape it, you're going to go to hell. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about time salvation. 
How can we escape the problems in this world that our forefathers had in this world? Let me jump over here quickly now to Hebrews chapter 10, another verse that, that is taken out of context. Chapter uh, 26, uh, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. If you have knowledge of the truth, and I would like to think that the old Baptists have better knowledge of the truth than anybody. You, so I'm going to be talking to you and me. I'm talking to you. If you sin, after you have knowledge of the truth, oh my God, what's going to happen to you? You know better. You know, you know better than to go out here and covet and to, to seek recompense. And you know, you know better than to go out here and commit murder and lies and superstition. You're the most, what I would like to think, the old Baptists are the most educated people in the doctrine of anybody. And so, when you read this, it says, but if you sin, when you have knowledge of it, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. You can't get those sins forgiven. Yeah, he's saying. That's what they're trying to argue here. This is the way the Arminians have to see. If you know the truth and you sin, boy, you just, boom, you just fell from grace. There's no way you can get back in if you've lost it. That's how the Arminians are talking about this. He's not, but Paul is not talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about the same kind of salvation from the Old Testament. About if we don't do any better, then yeah, we're going to have a hard time in this world because we know the truth and we're not following it. You're going to suffer your whole life from this persecution complex about my kids are not in the church, my, my, how my, my mother and dad don't have, not born again, don't have eternal salvation. You have, don't have peace in your heart. You have internal security. You know, I see a lot of people that are worried about their children. You go to some funeral, I say Armenian funeral, and that's what they're doing. They're trying to preach everybody to heaven. Don't wait too long. As John did here, don't wait too long to sit with him. Oh, thank goodness on his deathbed, he confessed. That's the way they'll, you'll go and you'll hear those sermons preach. Makes Brother Kenny hotter than a wet hen. You know, I've gone with him, me, me, me too. Brother Kenny's expressing to that. And he's right. You don't preach people out of hell into heaven. At a funeral. They're already there if they're a child of God. They've already been there a long time. So he's telling us that's what he's saying. Now, first of all, Let's back up here. Now, how do we know that's what he's talking about? Well, number one, we know the doctrine. We know Apostle Paul wrote about it. But let's go back again. This is the book of Hebrews. Who was Paul writing to? Who was he writing to? You know, we talked about you know, a letter written to somebody. If I write a letter to, you know, to, to Brother Paul out here, I'm writing it to him. Now, if you're reading that, you're reading somebody else's mail because I'm writing to him specifically. Well, Paul was writing to the Hebrew Christians. The Hebrews, the Jews, who became believers in Christ. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to those. And then look, and see, just go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they, he's talking about the Hebrews. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? I'm talking to people who are going to be the heirs of salvation. You, heir means you are inheriting it. You're going to inherit salvation. He's talking about eternal salvation here. Go over here to chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, his audience, he is calling holy brethren. All of you that I'm writing to are holy. You're reading this, you're in the same boat. But he's writing, that's who he's talking to. I'm not talking to you that are going to lose their salvation. You are holy brethren. He said, that's who he's talking to already. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. You are a partaker of the heavenly calling. He's not talking about them losing their eternal salvation. They're already among the elect. That's who he's writing to. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. But he calls them holy brethren partakers. 
He's not writing this book to try to save souls. He's writing to administer to minister to those people who are already souls are already saved, already among the elect. Skip over here again in Hebrews to chapter ten, uh, verse fourteen. Let me back up to verse 12 where he's talking about uh, the work of Christ here. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You don't have to have sacrifices anymore because Christ satisfied all that old law. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. You are sanctified. Go read the first verse of Jude. I'm writing to those people who are sanctified, you know, uh, preserved by Christ and called by the Spirit. You are sanctified. You're already, you're already holy. You're already a child of God. That's who he's writing to. I'm trying to explain to you how salvation works. Now, you're all still going to suffer in time if you don't follow the word of the Lord. But your eternal salvation is taken care of. Thank you. One more. Let's go over here to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which is, which is what he's talking to us about. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's our duty. Now, try to set sin aside. Sin's going to be after you. And that's, your, that's the job of eternal salvation and time of salvation. The Bible speaks all the way to salvation. He uses saved and salvation. You've got to read it and understand the context of it, who he's talking to, before you really understand what's going on. But he's saying, lay aside every weight and run the race. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the weight of, of well, I'm too lazy to get up this morning and go to church. I'm too lazy to read my Bible. I don't want to read my Bible. Go back over there to Proverbs. You're going to get a blessing for every one of these. You're going to get a blessing today and tomorrow. It's only if you're a child of God that you understand you're going to get a blessing. Being a child of God is where he's put himself in your heart. <coughs> if you go over and back on reading Hebrews 8, you know, the Lord says, I'll put my law into their heart and into their mind and make them a people of mine. I'll forgive their sins forever. <coughs> he's made you a child of God. Once you understand that, then that's who Paul's talking to. You understand you're already a child of God. Now he's talking to you. And he says over here, verse 5, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Ye have forgotten what the Lord tells you as his, as his children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor grow faint when thou art rebuked of him. Understand, you're going to be chastened when you don't follow the laws of the Lord. You're still his son. He said, you know, you're, you're still his son, but he's going to chasten you from time to time when you don't follow the law. Now, he may chasten you by just simply backing off. You know, we we're told that it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the Lord and the Lord is chasing us. It's also a fearful thing to be running from the Lord. Which I, I've been guilty of from time to time. We've all been guilty of that. You run from him and you're one of his children. You're going to find out this world gives you all sorts of problems. Coming to the church, you'll get peace of heart. Going to him in prayer, he's going to give you peace of heart. He's going to give you peace that you can't find anymore. He's going to give you a great blessing today and tomorrow. It's time salvation. Time salvation is confused so many times in the Bible with eternal salvation. But if you look, when he's talking about those times when you'll do this or you'll leave or you're going to go to hell, that kind of thing, he's talking about a timely hell. 
There's times I've made some decisions that are outside the church, you know, with, with me, with my family, with my finances, with my job. And as they say, you know, I paid hell for it. Yeah, and Paul teaches that. You're going to pay hell sometime in a timely way in this world. The reason I, I, I spoke several years ago on the three, the three different types of hell. There's an eternal hell. There's a hell he talks about was when you're buried and go to the grave in hell. And, you know, uh, he talks about when, uh, I believe it's Job talks about when you, when you, if I make my bed in hell, Christ is there. And that's talking about you know, the hell that you put yourself into. There's eternal hell, there's timely hell, and there's there's eternal hell, there's the grave of hell, and there's the hell we put ourselves into when we don't follow his word. We need, you know, uh, we'll go back to two. Hebrews chapter two. Again, cover this one, because I want to point out one other thing. Therefore, we ought to give up some more, give more honest food. Paul's saying, I'm in the same boat with you guys. <coughs> now, was Paul a, a sinner? He said he was. He said, you know, when I try to do good, I still sin. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more honest heed to the things which we have heard. We all got to pay more attention to our preaching and to what we've read and heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. <coughs> if they'll argue that that means you let them slip, means you're going to fall from grace. And grace is going to slip. No, it's not. He's talking about the Lord knows it. Paul knows it as a human being. I'm going to let things slip. You know, there's been a period of my time in my life when I got away in another town, didn't have a church, and so it was real easy not to go to church. You know, <coughs> not to go to church, and you so when you don't go to church, you start forgetting things. <coughs> things slip. You need to be reminded of these basic doctrines, or they slip away from you. They get away. You neglect them. You know, first time then I come back to church, that's why I don't. I forgot how good that doctrine is. And I hear it again. Okay, good. That's confident and I know about it. So we've got to come back. We've got to keep coming back. We've got to not neglect the work. That's why he tells us, don't forsake the assembly. That's also in Hebrews. But don't forsake the assembly. We come back here so we can hopefully hear these things. We can encourage each other. So we can know and understand we should not neglect the work that we need to do uh, for our timely salvation. He said, therefore, we, we, and then he goes in verse 2, and he says, for if, anytime you see that word if, that's a condition. That's what we call time condition salvation. And the Lord says, if you do this, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and then I will hear from heaven, I'll hear your prayers, I'll forgive your sin today to tomorrow, and I will heal your land. Things aren't going well for you. He's making an absolute promise. If my people. If my people. I'm not talking about the whole world. I'm not talking about people that he hadn't chosen. He's talking about you that he has chosen and wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. Now, if you will humble yourselves and pray. Well, I thought I had to be humble to get salvation. No, you're humble because he's given you salvation. He's put it in your heart and told you, you know, I need the Lord's help. The more you understand you need it, you need it, the more salvation you get. And that's what he's saying. And here he said, Again, another big if. If the word spoken by another was steadfast, if it was steadfast by the angels, and every transgression and disobedience was a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Because the salvation he's talking about there is the time salvation. 
That's over there in Proverbs. When you do these things, you're going to live a long life. You're going to be a healthy life. Your barns are going to be full. All those things are going to be good blessings today. And that's the salvation he's talking about here. It's not eternal. Because who he's writing to, everybody in this book that we pointed out, already has eternal salvation. They're already among his elect. He's talking about time salvation. We jump over here to Peter real quick because he says the same thing. But Peter, y'all first Peter, second Peter, first y'all are familiar with. He talks about the Lord gives us faith. Initial faith you get from the Lord. A person that's not a child of God does not have the faith that you do. It's not inputted in you, uh, implanted and imputed into you. And he says then we should add to our faith. This is doing the good works. This is what uh, Solomon is talking about over there in Proverbs. To add to your faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. And he says, for if you do these things. Again, who's Peter talking to? Over here in the first verse, he says, I'm Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ. I'm only writing to all you people who are already child of God. That's all that's I'm writing that's all I'm writing to. Now, out of all of you, there's two groups of you. Those that will add to your faith. Those that will do good works and add to your faith. All these things, charity and patience and knowledge. For if these things be in you, again, he's not talking about eternal salvation. You've already got that. He's already told you that back in the first verse. Give money his left. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You're going to be fruitful if you add, start adding to your faith. You've been given a measure of faith that shows you're a child of God, so that's secure. <clears throat> that's not, we're not talking about eternal salvation anymore. We're talking about now you going out and doing good works and adding to the faith that God gave you. Do these good works. And if you do them, you're going to be fruitful. Then look what he says. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And you know, here's where the Armenian will jump in. He said, see, I told you you're going to lose. You remember he said you're going to lose your salvation. Again, the only people Peter's talking to are those people who already have their <laughs> salvation. He says, For if these things, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And let's finish that verse. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You're still, you're still purged of your sins, but you've forgotten about it. You've fallen back into that Armenian mode about, well, I've got to go do stuff so, so my sins will be forgiven. Your sins have already been purged. And if you don't put your, the work that he's given you, faith he's given you, if you don't put it to work, you're going to forget that your sins are purged. If you don't know the truth, if you don't study it, study the Lord and follow him, then you're going to forget that your sins are purged. And then you're going to get back in the old God. Now I'm panicking right before I die. I better go get myself baptized or join the church or do something. Now, that's what he's talking about. Doing good works is great. You should do them. When you do them, you're going to get this wonderful blessing today. Tomorrow, things are going to start going better in your life. I can't tell you you're going to be a millionaire. <coughs> you know, I'm not that type of minister because we know that doesn't happen. The Lord blesses you in his own way. Blesses you for his own need, and you'll feel you get a great peace of heart. You'll be great security. But that's a timely blessing. And the reason you get that is because your eternal salvation is set and secure. And that's what he's telling us, and that's what Peter is telling us here. Let me go back here. We know that another good example, I think, is uh, David talked about it in 2 Samuel, verse 23, and he said, Although my house be not so with God. <coughs> 
I'm in trouble. I've seen it. He did a number of things back then that got him in trouble. He says, you know, the Lord is not happy with me. My house is not so with God. Yet, he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Even though I'm in trouble with God, and even though he's, he, he, he is, you know, uh, chastising me now and making this thing, I understand that I have, he's given me an everlasting covenant that has been ordered and is all things secure. Don't lose it. You can't fall from grace. You can't fall from grace in a timely manner. It has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. That's what it's teaching us here. I have one place, and I'll close with this. And turn back up here to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Apostle Paul preaching to Timothy. This, this, this verse is used in a lot of uh, the ordination, <coughs> ordinations of ministry. It's one of the ministers, me included. I have to read it time to time so that I understand what's taking place here. He says, he's speaking to Timothy. We're going to see him later. But he said, until I come, give attention to reading. Read your Bible. I need to too. When I read this, I'm going, I'm, I don't read mine enough. Reading your Bible is what gives you that security and it's one of the good works that it's to do. It gives you that knowledge of the Lord. He said, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Read, and then talk about it, preach about it, and then study the doctrine. You understand the doctrine, the two uh, doctrines that are pulled out of the Bible and separated, they should never be separated, the doctrine of, of eternal salvation through desolation, doctrine of time salvation or Arminianism. They take those out and they separate them. That's understanding doctrine. Don't separate them. They stay together. So two beautiful doctrines. And the old Baptist understand this more than anybody else. He understands that he's given us our eternal salvation if we can never earn it. Now, if you'll earn it, if you'll, if you'll use it and put it to use right now, your good works, he'll bless you today. He'll give you great salvation today. He said, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that's in me. Every one of you here have a gift to the church. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I, I can guess about some of it is. You know, it may be singing, it may be leading, it may be praying, it may be helping with food, it may be visiting the sick. Every one of us has a job we can do. It may be clearing out the trash. You may clear out the trash better than anybody else. I don't know. Everybody's got a gift, though. you got a gift because the Lord gave it to you. You wouldn't be here but for that gift. Now, you wouldn't be in this church if you so neglect not the gift that is in you. Put it to work, and the Lord will bless you for it. That's what he's telling us. Neglect not the gift that is in me, which was given thee by prophecy for the laying on of hands of the ministry. He's talking to Timothy, but it applies to all of us who have a gift. The Lord has given you something for the church. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that the profiting may appear to all. Give in to your gift and put it to work in the church the church or your son or whatever and, you, and, and the prophet is going to be visible to everybody. He's going to let it be seen by everybody if you'll just put it to work. Don't pay attention whether you get credit. Give credit to the Lord. The Lord will make sure that you get it'll profit and it'll appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. He's not talking about eternal. He said, by you putting this to work, going and visiting the sick, you're going to save somebody. You're going to give them some <coughs> encouragement while they're in the hospital. You're going to give them some 
encouraging them about how this world works. Go talk to people and say, hey, there's things you can do. <clears throat> Go out and talk to people and preach to them. When you do, you're going to save them. To evangelism, to discouragement. You know, we have people every day that commit suicide. That's sad. There's something that we could be doing. And I, I, I've had somebody close to me, you know, that committed suicide, and I had to speak at their funeral. And I thought, I wish I'd have known. I felt guilty now that I didn't go visit him. I had a close friend died just recently, and I thought, I've been trying to find the time to go see him, <coughs> you know, in, in one of the senior citizens' centers, and hadn't done it, and then he died. And not only that, because if I could have gone to see him, not only do you help save him, but you save yourself. You go visit somebody in the hospital that you leave and you think, I got a limp. I got more benefit out of this than I can take I'm going to visit to the person that's sick. You know, there's two of us, several of us that have lost spouses. You know, you're the one that needs to go compensate somebody with those spouses because you understand what they're going through. You have gifts. The Lord has given you gifts. Even if it's to go stand there, if the person knows what you've been through, you've lost a child, you've lost a spouse, you've had some horrible disease that they now have. You have a gift. And do it, and you're putting that gift to use. It's not going to get you eternal salvation. You already have eternal salvation, so you wouldn't be trying to help somebody. You wouldn't be putting it to work. But in doing that, you save both yourself and those people that you're attending. True salvation, both untimely, but you're doing that, and the Lord says, He'll bless you for that. He'll give you confidence. We'll tell you that over in Romans. Paul says, you know, if you've had any kind of problem, you're the one to go out and, and counsel get security to those people that have the same problems that you have. And in doing so, you comfort them, but you'll also receive great comfort yourself. Sometimes the best best uh, medicine for grieving, if you're grieving and you've lost somebody, is to go help somebody else who's lost also. Because we see now we understand you give them the security of knowing the Lord take care of it. And the Lord now see that person that died is now better off in heaven. You have that gift. We all know this basic doctrine. I appreciate your time and attention this morning, but my prayer is the Lord will wish you blessings.